Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name is Sammy James and welcome to the show. Loads going on in today's podcast. We'll have the final word from Saturday's 0-0 draw against Wolves at a sweltering Molyneux. Thank God it is cooled down a little bit. We'll have all the latest transfer gossip as Fulham close in on not just one, but potentially two wingers to solve our crisis out wide. We've got an interview with Johnny Langtree who works for the Fulham Foundation. He's part of the Kicks Refugee Program. Uh, I spoke to him a little earlier and uh, they're doing great work there at the foundation. So he gave me all the lowdown on that. We'll look at the under-21s as Luke Harris bagged a hattie against Chelsea on Monday night. We've got a few of your questions and a big preview of Saturday's London derby against Brentford at the Cottage. A massive, massive game that realistically Fulham do need to win but it's going to be extremely difficult we all saw their game on Saturday against Man United and it is the regular Thursday club joining me Peter Rutzler Fulham's writer for the Athletic UK hello hello Sammy hello Jack how are we good thank you in the office today uh makes a change bit of a change of scenery private drivers Jack described it um yeah it it is spacious it's a lovely little little room but um looks very competitive for you guys I, I guess yeah there is a little element of under the uh, stairs cupboard uh, to it uh, it's quite a nice under stairs cupboard but it does look quite small and cosy in there uh, and Jack who gave me a heart attack when he came on the screen because I thought was wearing a Brentford shirt it's the red and white stripes though of PSV Eindhoven so he all is forgiven but it is remarkably uncanny and uh, yeah I, I nearly kicked you out of our chat yeah, does one podcast with the uh, with the Athletics Brentford correspondent suddenly starts wearing red and white stripes on uh, yeah, on Lord. shirts. Uh, it's Umbro as well, which doesn't help. I think is the other thing. I, I didn't really realize this until it all happened. I was just like, oh, that'll do. Check that out of the cupboard and the uh, the, the array of football shirts I have. Mean, oh, that'll that'll do. Um, and so yeah, I, I have nearly given you a heart attack, but I can confirm that I haven't ever or will never wear a Brentford shirt, and and that's that. Thank you. Yeah, it was when I saw the two stars above the crest. I was like, oh, phew. <laughs> it's definitely not Brentford. Clearly yeah. can't be Brentford then. All right, let's do the final word from Wolves on Saturday. Um, Peter, I'm not going to lie. I've never been more jealous of you when I realised where you were sitting in relation to where we were standing. You had shade. We did not. And I imagine you had a thoroughly much more enjoyable time for it. My God. I'm not sure why everyone was complaining, to be honest. I had a lovely <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> in the shade no to be fair looking out at you guys because I was directly opposite and it just looked like you were all being roasted alive to be honest it was uh that kind of afternoon wasn't it with the heat and then then wolves obviously whacked up the the fire the flames which um which well, you could you can feel that right at the back of the stand it doesn't matter where you're sitting I mean if you're at the front I mean there's there's no hope there's singed eyebrows there isn't there but um 
yeah yeah uh, for me it was fine i had a, i had a nice experience very cool um press room as well just to rub that in air conditioned yeah, very, very pleasant almost too cold actually had to go outside <laughs> put a warm um, jumper on <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly exactly but um yeah uh all good heat on the field mitch richmond got too hot didn't he towards the end but um a solid point. Everything feels quite solid at the moment. That's, I keep coming back to that word and yeah, I'm having to find synonyms for it. But yeah, that's where I feel Fulham are at the moment. It's, it's all a bit solid. Yeah, two points from two, Jack, is just safe, not spectacular. Um, if we keep matching Liverpool point for point for the season, uh, as someone mentioned on the Fulhamish Twitter, I don't actually know who tweeted that. It was, it was me. I thought it might be you. Yeah. I, I saw that. Um, yeah, as in your own words then, yeah, if we match Liverpool point for point, Jack, we'll probably be okay come uh, come May. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, we, we shall see if we, we've managed to maintain that, that form. But look, we, we said this kind of at the start, 38 games, 38 points is probably enough to keep you up, right? You need to average a point a game or should be at least in the in the kind of territory of keeping you up. Although I did tweet the weekend that it's going to be a dogfight, isn't it? Forest picking up a win there. Bournemouth picked up a win on the first week. There are teams everywhere, you know, Brentford beating United, the teams that we expect to fall apart, even kind of Southampton 2-0 down at Leeds, dragging back to get a point. It, it did feel like, you know, it, it, I've got kind of a weird feeling about all of it in that it, it's just, I think there's going to be maybe eight or nine teams in there and it's just going to be quite uncomfortable for everyone for a long, long time. Um, I think this is going to be a dogfight. But as Peter says, you know, and, and I was listening to, to Ian Wright on, on Stadio this morning or, or, or Wright's house and it was, he was basically saying that, you know, the interests of, of teams at the bottom, especially if you get promoted, is get off the mark. Don't get left, you know, get off the mark and get away. And all three promoted sides have done so. You know, obviously both the other two have, have got a win. We've got two very, very credible draws. That's okay, but we're all away. And, and you know, you kind of want always from the start, you know, you're watching that game going, come on, West Ham. And I don't know how the ball didn't go in against Forest. And I have nothing against Nottingham Forest, right? But you just need three teams to be worse than us. And 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 right now, it looks very confusing as to how all of this is going to pan out. So uh, the, the things are now, can we kick on from, from a very decent start is how I'd put it. And um, Peter, what was the reaction of Marco Silva like after the game? It was, I, I was walking out of Molyneux, not 100% sure how to feel because it was a valid point. It was a valiant point. It was a good display. We we dug in at the end, but Mitrovic missing that penalty, it was such a missed opportunity because imagine how good we'd be feeling right now how positive we'd all be if we'd have already gotten away win first game of the season and also it would have been a bit of a smash and grab the way if if Mitrovic had stuck that penalty away considering the chances the Wolves had had yeah Silva's reaction was was probably you know he he obviously likes to win games and I think the the fact that they let that that go he wasn't overly enthusiastic I think it's pretty pretty run-of-the-mill really to be honest um he wasn't overly happy with the performance, I think. I think there were parts of it that he wasn't particularly happy with at the start. Um, those early chances, obviously, with Neto and, and Huang bursting down the, the Fulham right. But after that, I think he was pretty contented from what he was saying. You know, he felt the team had good control of the game. And you, and you did feel that. I think there were moments, of course, where Wolves were very dangerous in transition. You know, they've got some really talented wingers who can hurt you in those moments, you know, like... Uh, Pedro Neto, Daniel Pedence, what Gibbs White was good as well. Um, 
but apart from that, when when Wolves actually went through their build up phases and their build up play, Fulham felt pretty good, um, and they have done in both games actually, really both pretty solid performances. Again, there's that word. Sorry, mm. I, w- I will improve my vocabulary. Um, so overall, yeah, it was yeah. I think it was it was okay. I mean, sure. I mean, the missed penalty. Um, he was eager to get across it. Mitrovic will take the next one and. I think yeah. basically keeping confidence up is is the main thing from this. I mean, if he misses another one, then we're going to have to pull out the should Mitrovic take penalties debate because we've done that before. We did it two years ago, and the evidence isn't good. Um, but for now, it's you know keep him keep his confidence up, keep the team's confidence up. Um, I think there was frustration that he couldn't make the subs that he wanted to. Um, he went straight on to talking about the transfer market, which we'll come on to. Um, you know, obviously Bobby, Deco Reed and, and Nathan Scabano, again, two really good shifts, but both of them, I think, I think Bobby got a sort of a head injury at one point, but carried on. Um, and then Nathan Scabano went down and went off with, with uh, fatigue, uh, if I remember rightly. Uh, so I think, he, yeah, again, he, but that's what, that's what a manager will do. He wants a strongest squad that he, he can get. And, um, you know, with the injuries, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's the situation. But, you know, overall, I think there's, there's, so many reasons to be positive. You know, still unbeaten, two points. And when you compare it to the last two promotions, you know, the, the starts were the main thing. You know, we've we've talked about recruitment and why it's important to have the start. And Fulham has still got this good start. They've managed to do it this time. You know, unbeaten, two points on the board, off the mark, as Jack says. Um, that's such a good base to to, to build upon. So um, yeah, it's just about taking it forward now and and interestingly and I think and I sort of touched, just touched on this in my piece sorry just rambling on a bit now um, it's just the fact that defensively Fulham have been solid um, but the players who have who have done that are all players that you know got the team promoted last year which underlines one the strength of the, the base two how much some of them have improved um, and then you know three it's, it's that competition that's come in you know we've got these new recruits that have arrived but it's not necessarily Straightforward, I would say, based on performances. If you're if you're basing things on merit, you know it's not straightforward that Easter Diop takes Tim Reams' place. Tim Reams' been excellent in back-to-back games. Yeah, Marek um, Rodak, the same, has been good in goal. Um, so th- these are quite difficult questions, which is a great great position to be in. Um, so uh, yeah, lots lots to take from from those games. It's a bit of a dilemma, isn't it, in so many ways? I mean, part of this, I think, is when you give teams adequate protection for defences and you give someone in front of them who is able to mop up in the way that Jacqueline is, you're basically able to, I think, not necessarily cover for deficiency, because I think that's unfair, but I think that you're seeing it in terms of there is less direct running at the centre-backs, which is something that we struggled with a little bit last year when people you know, came through the middle and were di- and running at us and we were stepping off. That wasn't necessarily something that we were particularly good at. That doesn't really or hasn't really happened this season so far because the midfield too are able to stop things going in that way. And what it's meaning is that I think Tosin and, and Tim Ream are doing what they like doing, which is being able to you know clear up in the middle short and also get the ball and, and pass it out. And it means that we're playing to their strengths rather than kind of preying on their own weaknesses, which is important, I think, in, in this regard. But yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and Silva has a not question here because it's more kind of a dilemma, I would suggest, in that... If you drop players when they're playing well, you drop confidence within a squad. You you can't drop Tim Ream after those two performances, I don't think. You can't drop Marit Rodak after those two performances. Maybe a little bit more of a case. But, you know, over the over the course of these two games, I think he's done really well. Um, 
and I think that, you know, whilst there's a lot of people being like, oh, does he have to make a mistake to make a change? Because could that cost us points that we could otherwise pick up? And I completely understand that argument. If you're keeping morale high, you have to reward the players who are playing for you. Because when, if you have to put them back in and they're like, oh, well, I'm going to lose my shirt anyway. What's the point? Then then you have a very difficult situation on your hands. So that's what I'm intrigued by to see how Marcus Silva deals with. It's something that, you know, teams have to deal with full stop and, and and coaches in this league now, especially with bigger squads and substitute benches being larger and more subs being able to come on. Obviously these questions are, are kind of exacerbated, but right now it feels like the question is, does he stick or twist? And it, to twist, I think would be relatively dangerous in, in some regards. Yeah. Peter, you um, spoke to Marek Rodak for the piece that you released on Monday. One thing that I found particularly interesting in that piece was uh, a tweet that you uh, pulled up, which was that uh, Rodak's uh, save from Nunes in the Liverpool game um, was the most difficult save percentage wise um, in that game week one. Um, Apparently it's only historically saved 42% of the time. Um, I have no idea how people pull out these stats. But anyway, uh, we'll definitely take it and run. But in in Rodak was saying, Peter, that he sounded pretty bullish. You know, he started the season well and he, and he seems confident of, you know, putting in good performances at this level. It's 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 a great dilemma for Silver Hat to have. But yeah, one that we're going to have to keep a watchful eye on for the next few weeks. Yeah, and those, those stats are great. That's um, John Harrison from goalkeeper.com. Uh, goalkeeperdata.com, I think. I hope I've got that right. Yeah. X, really good, really good for proper goalkeeping analysis. I actually used to play with John Harrison. Um, He's a goalkeeper. Would would shout wide if the ball was going wide and he'll he'll thank me for mentioning that. (laughs) Um, um, But yeah, no, yeah, Marek was, um, yeah, he was, he was confident and and he should be because as Jack was saying, he's he's putting two good performances. Um, I think he's realistic about the situation. I thought it was interesting that you know, obviously, Marco Silva said in a press conference when when he's been asked about it that he'd spoken to Paolo Gazzaniga and and Rodak and and the rest of the squad and just said this is what I'm going to do this summer. And Rodak basically said that yeah, I expected Bert Leno to sign. And I think I he didn't say this, but from what you'd imagine is he was probably then looking at how Silva would approach the 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 season. You know, obviously Leno didn't come in that early, which meant Rodak started the season, but he's he's kept his place after a good display against Liverpool. Um, and, you know, it'll be a case again, will he keep his place? And he he basically says that. He says, it's up to me now to to keep the shirt. I've got it. It's tougher competition. Um, you know, that's, that can only be a good thing. And, you know, you can see from the way Aaron Ramsdale spoke about Leno when he left Arsenal, the, the kind of character that, that Leno is anyway, um, which will make things a, a lot easier, I suppose. But um, as, as I also touched on the piece, you know, Leno's not, hasn't joined Fulham to sit on the bench. Um, yeah. He's joined, joined Fulham to, to play games. And um, it's, it's a really tough dilemma. It's a really tough one. But, you know, it's, at some point, Leno's going to come into the team. You, you just, you, surely he'll come into the team. Um, yeah, Craw- Crawley in the cup. Well, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I can't um, wait. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Because it's uh, literally down the road. I'm more meant just to see Bert Leno and East Diop playing Crawley, yeah, yeah. but yes, I'm also excited for for, for that reason. Interestingly, I I, li- I just started All or Nothing Arsenal uh, last night, and so I watched the first episode. And that battle between Leno and Ramsdale at the start of the season is quite a big 
theme of the first episode and you see it at the end how Leno plays the first three games Ramsdale comes in he starts the fourth game which is against Norwich keeps a clean sheet makes a few saves and we know the rest is history he keeps his place after that and we're obviously kind of seeing that now at Fulham now obviously Marek Rodek has not had the disastrous start that Arsenal did last year where I think he he conceded five against Man City arguably not really anything Bert Leno could have done about many of those goals but it's just a nature of goalkeeping only one person can play and when you have two good goalkeepers I mean, with Fulham have arguably three good goalkeepers but when you have two good goalkeepers it's always going to be a battle for, for number one as you say Peter it's a weird one because you know it's just a matter of time there's no way Bert Leno is going to sit on our bench for 38 Premier League games but when does it come in is it when Marek Rogat makes a mistake or is there just a natural cutoff at which Marco Silva goes okay, now it's time because I want my more experienced goalkeeper in the net. So we'll wait and see. The problem with doing that is if you do that and you pull Bernardo in and he gets injured first game. Now, I know it's unlikely, right? We're talking about minuscule scenarios. But equally, if it happens and you turn back to Matt Rodak, and be like, oh, you're back in, he'd be like, well, hang on. Like, why did I get dropped? If he hasn't made a mistake, that's the thing. You know, if you, if you drop someone before they make a mistake and there's no guarantee that he's going to make a mistake, you know, he's, he's had two very, very good games. And and so therefore, when you look at this, you go, if you drop him, do you kill all his confidence he's currently playing with? And it's similar to someone like Tim Ream, I think, in that he's playing with such, you know, a wonderful confidence about him at the moment. And he's playing so well. That if you replace him without due cause, what's that saying to him? You know, what, what's that saying to him about how he's, how he's valued within the squad? Now, I know that, you know, Tim Ream is a, is a seasoned professional and, uh, and, and an older member of the squad who has a role off the field as well as on it. But equally, if you drop him after he's playing well, he's a bit like, well, hang on, <laughs> like, what have I done mm. to deserve this? Um, but yeah, it, it's a funny one. I just wanted to shout out Anthony Robinson because mm. he's, he was excellent again. Um, yes. And I do wonder if there's been a lot of talk, I think, of late that actually he rises to the level of competition. And I'm not 100% sure if it is actually that. I just think that considering Fulham are less dominant in the final, you know, and, and, and controlling the ball in the final third, it gives him the outlook that he's able to utilise his skill set to a fuller fuller extent when he's playing in a slightly more counter-attacking team. Now, I know Fulham played on the counter a bit last season and that under, under Marcus Silva, but when Fulham are being asked to release pressure and he is being asked to be that release valve on that left-hand side and, and basically drive Fulham up the pitch, I think we're playing far more into his toolbox than perhaps we did last year where he was asked to sort of you know, roam around in that kind of mid middle third of the pitch and, and basically pick up the ball and, and cross from deeper positions because teams are sat in that low block against us. I think that maybe this is actually the, the key to unlocking his capabilities is that Fulham playing in transition means that Robinson's role is it, it plays a little bit more to, to his skill set. I think um I think as well, just just to add to that, I think you're absolutely spot on, Jack, about how the way Fulham are playing, they've been quite direct in both these games, actually, and that really does does help. But I do think it's worth highlighting just how good he's been defensively. Um, it's just he's been he's been superb, hasn't he? I mean, first up's Mo Salah, he plays against, keeps him quiet in the first half, um, and then this week it's 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 a combination of Gibbs White and then Pedro Neto, Dan, Daniel Podence. Um, and Adama Traore at the very end. And Adama Traore, absolutely, and um, the forgotten man. <laughs> indeed, indeed, I mean, but he was completely rock solid. Um, and you know, I mean, that's that's such a massive boost, obviously, for the US as well as they look towards the World Cup. But for for Fulham, I think you know there were probably some question marks around Robinson. But if he continues the form that he's shown so far, it's um, that's hugely encouraging, really encouraging. 
Well, the Athletics' new soccer man will be delighted to hear that the US's uh, chances delighted. are... Absolutely. Uh, can't, 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 can't argue with that. <laughs> USA. But we're we're going to change uh, the, the club to Fulham Soccer Club now just to, to suit Jack and uh, his new lexicon. Great stuff. It's an English word. It's an English it word. It yeah. is an English word. Um, one thing that I just wanted to touch on that we didn't mention in Monday's pod, I don't know how it got missed really, but I feel like came to prominence a little bit more with what we saw on Monday night and Darwin Nunes getting sent off and the amazing shithousery from Joachim Anderson, by the way, appalling the abuse that he's received um, yes. since then, um, just got to be said. And, you know, we love Joachim Anderson. So to see him get that is just abhorrent. I mean, it's abhorrent to anyone, but obviously we love Joachim and uh, to yeah, to see that is, is is disgusting. But anyway, my point is that Mitrovic Jack was. I, I can't work out if he was lucky to stay on the pitch. The, the headbutt that Darwin Nunes does is worse than Mitrovic. It's slightly more of a butt, and Mitrovic is more of a I'm going to put my head in your face. But Mitrovic was lucky. The tackle was awful. If it was against us, we'd want a red card, wouldn't we? Almost it deserved a double yellow. That was well, my thinking. I actually think, the, I don't necessarily think he's that lucky for the headbutt. I think he's lucky that he doesn't get booked for the foul beforehand. Because they both get booked, right? For the altercation. But I think the foul might be a yellow card. Did he not get booked to the foul? I thought he sure, got booked yeah, to the foul. Surely the foul didn't was Didn't Didn't Gibbs White get booked as well? Yeah, he did. Yeah, Gibbs White did get booked. So, yeah. So, so therefore, you'd imagine that the yellows are as much for the altercation as anything else. But I think he's maybe lucky not to get booked for the, well, he, he, basically he's lucky to get booked for whichever one he didn't get booked for. He should have got, I, I think if, if it was against me, I would think he should be getting, like, like Martinelli got last season, he should be getting two yellow cards for what he did. The tackle was bad and the reaction was bad. I, I do think Morgan Gibbs White instigates it. Um, and and uh, yeah. but, but you can't lose your cool like that. Yeah, I think I think that's, I think that's what Silver tried to say, was that, you know, Gibbs White was started the reaction, but, for me, it was a red card. I mean, Bruno Lazar saying the tackle was worth a red card. I'm not not yeah, so sure that about is, that. That's, that's but it was it was absolutely a yellow card challenge. Yes. Um, and the reaction was absolutely a yellow card reaction. You can't react like that. Um, clearly, the frustration from the penalty was was lingering there. Uh, but you know, Fulham are fortunate. Yeah, there's no doubt no doubt about it for me. I mean, I was I was pretty surprised he wasn't sent off, but pretty relieved because he was in my fantasy football team, and I'd already. I already have Darwin Nunes in there because I... Yeah, oh, I'm what a disaster. Minus five. You're on minus points everywhere. There he was before the season, big enough his FPL yeah, credentials. He got a minus five. Let's move on. You didn't play any of them as captain, please. No, no, no. Oh, phew. Someone in the Fulhamish uh, community, FPL, I've got to shout him out. Ryan Vegand, triple captained Gabriel Jesus. 57 points. I've never seen anything like it. Shot him right to the top of the leaderboard. Part of me almost wants to like criticize it because what are you doing? Triple captaining on the second week of the season for like, uh, but, a lot I of mean, people, a lot of people do that. They, the first, second week, because there's so much chaos at the start of the season. You can tend to, you tend to find moments that happen. A lot of people triple captained Holland first week. I know um, yeah. who obviously got two goals and that would have worked, but well, a lot yeah. of people would have triple captained him for the Bournemouth game and he only got an assist. So, um, but yeah, Mitrovic lucky to stay on the pitch, I think, but think, um, thank God. Thank um, God for that. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it was just one of those challenges, Peter, that he was, looking to stop the attack. I, I th sometimes just think Mitrovic is not as subtle at the dark arts as, as other players. Cause he did almost like karate kick him. And there is a way of fouling, but not looking so bad. He just didn't do it very well. I think that was the problem. I mean, it's always a yellow card when he, when you do that kind of challenge, whether you do it badly or well, because it stops a attacking opportunity. 
I'm not, I'm not sure he was trying to be to be subtle. <laughs> I think he was clearly trying to stop the break, but the, I think the point was, you know, that he hadn't really been able to do that anyway. He had to cover a lot more ground than probably would have wanted to before taking out Gibbs White. And then obviously, you know, does still commit the foul and then there's a reaction and it's, uh, yeah, yeah, fortunate. Well, thank, thank God, because uh, he'll be available for Saturday's game against Brentford, which we'll come to. A uh, bit of transfer news. We discussed both these players last week, so there's not an awful lot more to be said. Um, but Peter, it seems that William is at Motswell Park, so um, he may be a Fulham player soon. Yeah, or he's becoming a minority shareholder in the club. One of the two. He's <laughs> <laughs> playing for a different kind of role. Um, yeah, so is, is Fulham are exploring a deal to sign him. Obviously, he... Uh, ripped up his contract at Corinthians in Brazil last week after a, a difficult spell there. Um, struggled with the abuse that he'd, he'd suffered, he and his family, and he wants to return to London. Um, seems like a fit that makes sense, considering that Fulham needs depth options, as we were talking about at the start of the podcast. Uh, obviously, there are question marks about how good he is now. Um, his, you know, In terms of that final season at Arsenal, wasn't great. Obviously, he hasn't had the best time in, in Brazil either, but um, at his best, he was an outstanding player. Um, he's won countless trophies, more than 300 appearances for, for Chelsea. And, you know, if he is going to be a rotation sort of option and he can show glimpses of that quality, then I think it's something that, that certainly will make sense. Um, again, we'll just see how that progresses. Um, it's something that is on the table. Um, obviously, he's been at Motspur Park uh, to be assessed and then uh, we'll see see what happens. Good penalty taker. It's worth pointing out. It's worth pointing out. Um, I'll just add to that. It's a, it's one of those where if someone was like, "Do you want this transfer to happen?" Kind of just flat. I'd be like, probably not. But on a free transfer with the current situation we're in, uh, on wages of apparently around thirty k a week, it makes plenty of sense for someone who can play three different positions. Is a good dead ball option and. You know, at his age, I think we'll probably be happy to be a contingency member of the squad because he wants to be back in London. That's okay, I think. I think. Um, yeah. I have my I have my issues with it as well. When it came through, I was like, I don't like this. But the more I think about it, and the more it's kind of just a you know an open depth option on relatively small wages for the Premier League. And I know that sounds ridiculous, say when someone's on thirty k a week, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, I, I think that's a, it might well be relatively sensible um, if he can fit in and he's willing to put the work in and, and, and do these things. Now, if he's coming here for a retirement payday, my problem with it was that it doesn't fit the, mod, the model of what Fulham have tried to bring in this summer. And, you know, you look at the Clivert deal, for example, on the flip of that, that does fit. It's young, hungry players with a point to prove. You know, that, that, that I can get on board with. This is very much not that. Um, you know, but you can maybe chuck it in with the Duffy thing as as a depth option that that with a bit of a Premier League experience to try and guide Fulham through you know what is going to be a tricky season. You know, if he comes in and shows the, the work ethic and, and all of those things that we're expecting, and there's been no real reason to doubt that. I don't think over any of his time in England, his work ethic was always in, you know even when Chelsea were desperate that season, um, he was their best player and he was the one that kind of dragged them out of things. Um, so if he comes in with that attitude, I, I, I can't. I think I've come round to it being a relatively good depth signing. Yeah, I mean, as recently as the 2021 season, um, he got nine assists in the Premier League uh, season before that 11 goals, nine assists. Like it's only a couple of seasons since Willian was prolific. And 
are hopefully doing it at a lower level with Fulham. We've got an injury crisis. Yes, if you'd have said at the beginning of the summer, would you like to sign Willian? I'd have thought, no, what are we doing? Right now in the circumstances, it seems to make a lot of sense. Um, Jack, we talked about, well, you talked about Justin Clivert last week and what he brings to Fulham. The standard uh, are reporting that Fulham um, have had an offer um, accepted for Clivert. So this one looks to be getting closer. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen this week, whereas Willian might happen before the Brentford game. I reckon this Clivert one's got a few more days before it's over the line, but seems like he's quite motivated potentially to come to Fulham, which is a good thing. Yeah, the reports out of Italy today, I was reading something from Il Tempo earlier, um, are that, you know, Roma actually accepted a bid from from Nice and Clivert said no because he wants to come to Fulham. So if that's true, then that is a, a good sign. Now, there are obviously things to iron out. The evaluations, the deal between the two clubs doesn't seem to be there yet, but he seems to be someone who who, who wants to come to Fulham. Um, you know, remember him coming up at... Uh, at Ajax and, and it being a very exciting one that he when he was coming through and he, he is a winger winger you know this is this is something worth pointing out he, he's one of those players who likes to remain wide um and for someone who likes to remain wide his goals and assists record is not bad um now he had a couple of blips the the year at Leipzig didn't go to plan um and that first year at Roma wasn't great great mm. but you know still got eight assists yeah, exactly. This is the thing. You know, you're looking at most of these things and thinking, okay, this is a player who you can make things happen. Um, he's not quite as dynamic as as perhaps, you know, you'd, you'd maybe expect. He, he's a good dribbler again. Um, you know, I, I like I like the fact that he can carry the ball and he loves, loves regaining possession. Like He is one of those who loses the ball and will work like a dog to get it back. Um, oh, and, and so Great. that is, you know, that's another one that you go, okay, crowd will like that, right? That, that's the kind of thing that, that you know, the Craven Cottage crowd will like, you know, someone who who works hard and, and who has a point to prove. And again, it just fits this mold that Fulham have been kind of looking at this summer. I like it. I like it. Now, I know that his, you know, his stats aren't unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I was reading Jack Stradley's profile of him the other day on Fulhamish and he was saying, it's a gamble, and I agree with that. I, I do, I do agree. Um, but it's a, an interesting one in terms of where we get to, and, and and someone who's a little bit of a different profile and might just offer us something different. And I think the fact that he fits you know, what I'm calling the model is, is is a good thing for me. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Afterwards, I'm going to be speaking to Johnny Langtree from the Fulham Foundation. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
part two of the Fulhamish podcast. It is Sammy here, joined by Johnny Langtree from the Fulham Foundation, part of the Kicks Refugee Initiative that they're doing. Johnny, great to have you on. Good morning. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks, Sammy. And Johnny, just to start off with, obviously you work for the Fulham Foundation, but you are a Fulham fan as well. What a dream job to uh, work for the club you sport. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, been a fan for a very long time been to a lot of matches as well it's just great to uh to be part of the club really yeah what's your uh, favorite memory of supporting fulham Oof, too many i think most recent would be the home luton game that was fantastic yeah. but i was there for some of our europa league run as well so i think the juventus game would probably be my top highlight yeah, I mean, I, whenever I ask that question, I sometimes go like, well, I, I, if you're of a, above a certain age, you're probably going to say the Europa, but yeah. you've got to give the cliche answers sometimes. I think if you try yeah, and absolutely. wing it that it was, I don't know, beating Stoke in 2010, you're probably lying to yourself, aren't you? But anyway, <laughs> Johnny, lovely to have you on. The Fulham Foundation is something that uh, I think Fulham fans see the fundraising, but don't often see the work or where the funds go to we often see the Fulham Foundation days um, and I ha- was aware of the refugee program um, kicks refugee but I'd be lying if I said I know an awful lot about it so yeah be very interested to hear exactly the work you're doing because it seems like very very important work uh, in the lives of um, young men around London yeah so the kicks refugee program we work with a few hundred refugee and asylum seekers on a weekly basis. We run different football sessions um, in lots of different boroughs of London, mostly doing football sessions, but we're looking at uh, taking a bit more of a holistic approach, looking at coaching opportunities for these young people, sort of a bit of aftercare after our sessions as well. And mainly, I think the thing is, is just making them feel welcome into the Fulham family. Yeah, where have... um these refugees generally travelled from? I imagine uh, a lot will have come over in the in the Syria migration crisis that yep. happened uh, a few years ago. And, and, and I imagine some of them will have done that awful journey on the boats as well. Yeah, I mean, it's from all over, really. You have a lot of people from Northern Africa, the Middle East, uh, some parts of South America as well. Yeah, they've they've had a tough time of it getting here so i feel like it's the very least we can do really is put on these football sessions for them and what when you say a football session are we talking a five a side match are we talking more kind of coaching and drills like what is involved in putting on a a, a football session uh well usually it's a mixture so we'll have some fitness-based drills and things like that at the start and then usually we'll go into matches uh, some of our sessions are very very highly attended so we'll go straight into a tournament where we there's about 65 70 young people at a session yeah it's just a great chance for them to sort of interact with their peers build up their own social networks in the city and just have a chance to get outside and get fit yeah i imagine that social side is maybe the element of this that's not really factored. It's more than just giving people an opportunity to to kick a ball about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, football is a universal language, right? And it can be played by anyone, anywhere. So to factor in that for them, I think is a key thing. And it gives them and myself things to look forward to each week. And I imagine if you have 
traveled land and sea to come to the UK. I imagine that possessions are not in abundance. I, I saw Niskins Cabano doing uh, a video where he was looking to get uh, Fulham fans to donate old football boots. I mean, it seems mad that that's that's required here, but I, I, I guess if you've traveled all that way, bringing a, a pair of football boots um, isn't necessarily high on the priority list. How did that kind of initiative to get uh, fans to donate boots um, go? And was there, was that a success? Well, it's still ongoing, but yep. so far it's been very successful. It was something that um, I started when I began this new role as youth engagement officer for Kicks Refugees, because um, a lot of the sessions I went to, I noticed that a lot of, a lot of these young lads aren't, aren't wearing the right thing for football and it's you know it's not going to be conducive to them improving at football so we sort of try we've reached out to the first team academy and fans other members of the foundation as well and so far the donations have been incredibly generous we've had things from the first team from the academy yeah the club has been really really on board with this and really helpful and if anyone has a, a spare pair of boots lying about, I know that I do. What's the uh, best way of donating things like football boots? Is, is there a link on the, on, the, on the foundation website? There isn't. You can get in touch with me at uh, kicks at fulhamfc.com and I can signpost to you to where we have our collection boxes um, or where they can be posted. Okay, great. Uh, and just generally on the, the wider Fulham Foundation, as I mentioned, I feel like often as supporters, we we see the fundraising, but we don't know necessarily all about where the, the fundraising goes to. There's just so many parts of the Fulham Foundation, though, and so many elements to, to where it supports people in, in and around the area. And um, what has your experience been like working with the foundation and, and the differences made maybe just outside of the, the refugee uh, program, which is obviously the kind of individual part that, that you look after? Well, I've absolutely loved it. I think community work through sport is just amazing. And I think it's something that the foundation does brilliantly. I mean, we run 25 different programs from all ages and abilities. You know, our youngest participants would be free. Our oldest might be 93. Mm. And so it, it really is all encompassing and bringing people together and um, building better lives through sport. And uh, you were telling me before, Johnny, that uh, not only do the refugees on your program get to play football, but they also get to watch football. I, I'm under of the understanding that uh, a few of them will be at the uh, the Brentford game on on Saturday. Hopefully, seeing a Fulham win. Yeah, let's hope. Um, no, you're absolutely right. The club, like I said, have been incredibly generous when it comes to this program. Well, all of our programs at the foundation really. And we'll actually have 40 uh, young refugee and asylum seekers at the Brentford game. Uh, for a lot of them, it will be their first Premier League match experience. And let's just hope it's their first Fulham win as well. Yeah, well, let's hope it's Fulham's first win um, <laughs> of the season. It would be um, oh, great to have them there. And it, it's... It's so interesting when you hear about all of these small things that happen kind of behind the scenes, quite under the radar um, and all the great work that is done supporting just every different demographic um, uh, in the local area. And I imagine that's where most of the Fulham Foundation's work is based, is kind of in that southwest London bubble um, in and around kind of the new modern Fulham areas um, where, where the majority of the fan base, certainly UK wide, is, is, is based. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of sessions running there, but we reach out into Surrey as well and other parts of South London too. 
Uh, and Johnny, fundraising for the Fulham Foundation uh, is year long, not just around those kind of foundation matches that happen each year. Uh, if people are interested in um, fundraising for the foundation, how do, how do people go about that? You know, if, if someone maybe wanted to run a local marathon or run a half marathon or something along those lines, but they wanted to do it for the Fulham Foundation because they're a big Fulham fan and they like to support the the charity associated with with the club they love. Um, Can people do that? Can people go about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can always find us on um, the foundation's part of the official club website. But since it's our uh, 20th year as the official charity of Fulham FC, we've started a new fundraising platform on uh, Infuse. So if any fans are interested in donating through there, they'll be sent invites to any events that we might be hosting. Uh, They can find out a lot more about what each program does as well. Fantastic. Well, we'll stick a URL in the uh, description of the podcast if you're interested in uh, doing any fundraising for the great work that the foundation are doing, including your fantastic um, Kicks Refugee uh, initiative, Johnny. Uh, Definitely keep up the good work. Um, While I have you chatting Fulham, uh, score prediction for Saturday. How do you see it going? Oof. I'm going to go 3-1 Fulham. I think we've played really well the first two games. I've been really pleased. So hopefully I think we can carry it through. It's a huge game, obviously. Big local derby. But uh, no, I'm back in the boys. 3-1. Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that we can get it done. It feels like um, crunch time on the pitch, doesn't it? I guess with the games coming up as well, win and it's a fantastic start, lose and I think we'll be a bit nervous and a draw doesn't really help anyone. But fingers crossed, get the win, Johnny. I, I like your confidence there. This 3-1 would be a, a fantastic scoreline. Um, Johnny, thank you so much uh, for coming on. We'd love to have you on again uh, to chat about the good work that you're doing and top stuff to you and all your colleagues. Thanks so much. Cheers, Sammy. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here, back with Jack and Peter. I just quickly wanted to say a big shout out to everyone backing Fulhamish in the Fulhamish community, supporting the content we do. As a thank you, they get access to the Fulhamish Telegram, which is awesome. Uh, We've got three different chats, a kind of general Fulham chat, a transfers chat, which is still popping off. Lots of rumours about uh, Clivert and Willian at the moment. And there's also our tickets, pubs and away day chat. The Fulhamish community uh, is just simply a way of people backing our content if they wish. Uh, We don't put any of our content behind a paywall. We keep it free to access. But if you like what we do and you want to support us uh, with a little amount monthly, um, then obviously we are hugely appreciative. It goes an awful long way. All the details are on the Fulhamish website. But of course, if you can't or you don't want to or you can't afford to, All our content remains absolutely free and that is completely up to you. Right, just before we look at the Brentford game and answer some of your emails, I think we should have a quick word about the under-21s. A big win against Chelsea on Monday night and Luke Harris bagging a hat-trick. Of course he did. What a bags man that man is. Hat-trick Harris. Yeah, no surprises, is there? Um, What a player. I think that's his first game for 21s. of this season and uh yeah three classic luke harris goals as well i think the second one was the is the left foot shot to the near post which is a really excellent finish that one and then the other two are just him being in the right place at the right time it's, it's one of those uh intangible attributes um that is <laughs> which is you know basically natural um that's what steve wigley described it to me when i was asking about him and 
he just says you can't you can't coach that he just he's got it you've just got to nurture it in the right way and you know he's I think that's a really important result for him a performance by him because you know he obviously he's been in around the first team for the whole of preseason he's liked by Marco Silva and um, it's just a reminder of his quality you know a reminder of what he can can bring and, and why he deserves to stay within the uh, first team picture and hopefully he'll get uh, a look in at some Premier League minutes um, because clearly he's a, he's a talented talented kid who um, yeah can go can go a long way providing everything goes uh, stays in place and everything falls 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 into place for him. Yeah, Jack, uh, a brilliant three 0 win um, over Chelsea at uh, Kings Meadow. You know this is a hell of a result to be to be pulling off you know early doors of the season we also won the first under 21s game of the season uh, against West Ham um the caliber of this under 21 side looks good for for the upcoming season yeah absolutely and i just wanted to give a shout out to Adrian Pajazi who i thought was absolutely remarkable in this game um i, I thought he was absolutely incredible and he dominated Carney Chukwemeka who's just signed for Chelsea for what 20 odd million from Aston Villa and was the star of England's unders campaign this summer as as they won the Euros um it was it was a really really good performance and you know just it, just when you look at that and you think okay who is that and I was talking to you know one of the Chelsea bloggers who does their youth academy and he was like who was your number eight he was absolutely outrageous. And I was like, yeah, he, that's Pajazzi. He's, you know, a couple of first team appearances and trained around with the, with the first team squad, but hasn't quite made you know, the full jump yet. A couple of cup appearances and that. Um, but I just thought he was sensational. Like the best player, you know, Harris aside, the best player on the park, I thought. And, you know, to go back to Luke Harris and, and, and those goals that he scored, the fact he's playing up there against, you know, Ethan Ampadu, he's playing against Trevor Chalibur, um, this was a very, and you know, Ben Chilwell out on that left-hand side. This is a very good Chelsea side, a very good Chelsea side. And, you know, you look at how Fulham put them to the sword in, in this game and you think, wow, this is a really special side. Um, and, and maybe one that we'll look at in years to come and go, wow, they all played together. That, that, that was pretty remarkable. Um, but, you know, a, a word to the defence too, because Amari Hutchinson signed for Chelsea this summer from Arsenal um, they finished third, I think, in PL2 last season. And Hutchinson was kind of their key man, made the jump over to Chelsea um, and was kept relatively quiet by by all accounts um, by this side. Now, obviously, we saw these two centre-backs, Idris and, uh, and McAvoy, and, and they kept him very quiet all game. He's a very good footballer. So, yeah, um, a shout-out to the whole team. But some really, really impressive performances here and not one to be sniffed at against a very strong Chelsea squad. Uh, and also a note to the fact that uh, the Fulham women get underway uh, this weekend. Uh, they're playing uh, Sutton United on Sunday at the VBS Community Stadium. Kickoff at two o'clock and it's free entry. So if you fancy going down there and supporting uh, the Fulham women, um, then yeah, definitely uh, heads down to Sutton. Uh, free football. You can uh, you can never beat that. Uh, right. Let's come on then to the Brentford game and it's the big one, Jack. It's been, it feels like ages since I've seen a Fulham Brentford game. Obviously we had the big playoff one. We played them in the Carabao cup when we were in the premier league and they were back in the championship, but it feels like an awfully long time, particularly at Craven cottage. Since uh, we've had this game, it's always got a needle on it. It's never one that Fulham played particularly well in apart from the one that mattered. Um, 
I'm always tense. I'm always nervous. Weirdly, when I play QPR, I'm just excited because we're probably going to beat them again. Chelsea's just a bit of a free hit in a weird way because you know we're not going to beat them. Brentford's just always got needle to it. And I'm always extremely tense when the day rolls around. Yeah, 100%. I was looking at that post about, you know, the rivals earlier and I came to the conclusion that... Chelsea's the game I'd win, like to win the most, but this is the one that I definitely don't want to lose the most, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah, that, that's yeah, where I think I, that's fair. I just don't want to lose. Now, obviously, it would be great to win, but I, I just can't deal with the, the yap if, if they beat us at the cottage again. Um, I think this is the first time the two sides have ever met in the top flight. Um I, I could mean, be surely, wrong, yeah. But, uh, but I don't believe that it's ever been the case before. So... It's a pretty big one in that regard, um, you know, and, and one of those moments that you're going to be like, okay, cool, this is this is a lot. Um, and I imagine the atmosphere is going to be feverish. Um, I imagine there's going to, you know, they'll, they'll come down on a boat or whatever they do for their big day out as usual. Um, but on the whole, yeah, I mean, the, the, I think we saw last weekend that much as it pains us, they're a very good side. They're very well drilled. They, um, they press high. They are incredibly tactically organized and they're set up shifts depending on who they're playing against. Um, and, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see this as a tactical battle. Um, now, Interestingly, obviously, we spoke right at the start about the fact that early on in the game against Wolves, we got opened up down the right-hand side a couple of times um, in those gaps. And that's the place that Brentford attacked against Manchester United. You know, that was that was the area that they looked at and gone, right, we can we can get in here. Um, and, and so that's the early concern, I would suggest. Um, you look at that and you think, okay, how do we how do we stop that happening again? Um, but yeah, it, it's of course, I'm incredibly nervous. I'm incredibly stressed, but I'm looking forward to it too in a kind of sick, I hate myself kind of way. Yeah. We haven't played Brentford at Craven Cottage with fans there since 2018. And that was Mm. the Neil Mope in the final minute during the Slav promotion season. So we're talking here four years since we've had a Brentford game at Craven Cottage, which is kind of wild because it feels like we've played them loads and we have, but they've, the biggest moments came during the behind closed doors football and and the playoff final. Um, Peter, what did you make of Brentford's win uh, against United on Saturday? So much. And I'd be so annoyed if I was a Brentford fan in fairness is made generally. Well, (laughs) yeah, generally I probably would just be angry every day. Um, But I more meant to the point, all the analysis is all about United, how bad they were, how De Gea needs to get dropped, how Maguire's crap, how Martinez isn't good enough. And the only Brentford chat I've seen is like, oh, they press quite well. And and that's loosely been the, the analysis that I've seen. And actually, Brentford were awesome in that game. You You just can't take it away from them. They were fantastic. And they pushed United into all of those errors. Okay, yes, De Gea's is completely unforced. But other than that, it is all about how good Brentford were for me. And yes, okay, United have got their problems. But I mean, this is such a dangerous team. And I thought they might be ones looking likely for relegation. But if you play like that most weeks, then, then they're going to be nowhere near. Yeah, no, I, I thought they'd, be, they'd, they'd struggle this year. Obviously, it's still very early. But um, as Jack said, they're tactically incredibly flexible and intelligent. And and you saw that against United. I thought they were brilliant, as you said. And they pressed all of those weak spots in that United team. They were ruthless. You know, in those moments where United were, their heads were gone, Brentford made them pay. And that's a really important um, mental attribute to have uh, in any team. 
Um, and, th- and they'll cause problems again. You know, as Jack said, you know, they play, they can play in those channels uh, either side of the centre half between the fullbacks um, through Ivan Tony, Brian and Bermo. They've adapted quite well to that, to the system that they use with a five and a three and a two. And they've, they've brought in Mikhail Damsgaard as well. It looks like a good addition. They've signed really well again. They, yeah. I mean, they always do this, but they've signed really well as well. Hickey looks brilliant. Damsgaard is a wonderful player. Lewis Potter's a good player. It's just, and Ben Mee is slotted straight in. You're like, okay, cool. They've just done it again, haven't they? Yeah. And so, yeah, they're going to be, they're going to cause problems. There's no doubt about it. They, they play, they can play very direct, which we've seen lately. Um, but yeah, if I was if I was a Brentford supporter, I'd be I'd be furious really because they did more than press. They pressed smartly. They were clever in terms of how they moved the ball forward. Everything was was planned, was organised. Um, and you know they used the home crowd as well. I mean that's that'll be so important. And we've seen how that can make a difference for for Fulham. And I'm sure the atmosphere on Saturday will make it a really a really tense game and a, re- a really competitive one. Um, but I suppose if you're looking at it from a Fulham perspective, of course of course it matters that Fulham win, but um, yeah, I think I think three points here, and suddenly this, Fulham have a very good start to the campaign, and if a defeat and it's two points, and you're 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 mildly concerned at that point. I think so. If you lose a an unbeaten start, becomes a winless streak. Exactly, exactly. So, and just looking back at the results between Brentford and Fulham since it's sort of rekindled in what 2014 15 time, I think. Yeah, yeah. When we yes, when we got relegated since, from yeah. the Premier League the first time, and they yes, got promoted exactly. from League One. Yeah, I think Fulham have only beaten Brentford three times. So, um, you don't need to remind us. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we won the we won the big one though. We won the won, one that matters. Won the big one, yeah. So, and we've but, we've not won at home. No, I think the last win against at home against Brentford is you've got to go back to I think nineteen ninety. I guess in yeah. Yeah, April 1990 that we haven't beaten Brentford. So let's end that. Let's end that this weekend, shall we? Yeah, let's put that please, to the sword. Let's get rid get rid of that curse. Um. Jack, looking at the Fulham team, yep. do you think there's any changes to be made? You talked about the right-hand side. Kenny Tete wasn't... I didn't think it was his best game no. uh, against Wolves. I thought he got found out a little bit. And Babu came on very late on. Is that a potential change? Or do you think Marcus Silva, injuries aside, is, is going to keep this pretty pretty standard? Yeah, uh, I can't see many changes. I, yes, I didn't think Kenny Tessie was brilliant against Wolves. Um, equally, I think he's a better one-on-one defender than than Mbabu is. I think Mbabu is a you know a slightly more forward-thinking defender um, than Tete. Um, and especially, you know, I, I think Tete's probably best skill is is his one-on-one defending in in so many ways. So I can't see him changing it. But equally, you know, if he does, I don't think that's a massive problem. Peter, do you think? Uh, I mean, the only one is if someone like. Willian signs and comes. I don't think he's, there's no way he's no way he's coming straight in, is there? So barring injuries, we haven't really got any flexibility here to manoeuvre. No, not not particularly in 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 forward areas. And, and to be honest, if if Decker ever reading Kirano are fit, I think they've done very well in those games. I wouldn't really want to to. There was a case not to rotate them. So um, I can't see the midfield changing. We've seen how well Pelini and Reed have done. Likewise, in injuries and things dependent. Um, and yeah, I, I suppose it would just be defence, and it's just a case of of whether there would be changes to even you know even though that they have done quite well. So um, yeah, a tough one, a tough one. Um, yeah, maybe 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 on the right back, maybe there's a potential for change there, but still part of a back four that kept a clean sheet. So uh, tricky one, a tricky one. I wondered if um, if Shane Duffy might come in to try and counter Tony's aerial threat was the only thing that I was kind of considering, but. 
I, a I big just old don't call see to it. make though, isn't I it? I just don't see it. Not in this one. Maybe in you almost say one of the upcoming games where you know, Arsenal spurs away, that might be a Chepply place where Silver thinks, well, these are tougher games. We're not expected to win here. Maybe this is a chance to, to blood new um, people. But we've got that opportunity on Tuesday as well against Crawley in the Carabao Cup, where if he wants to give people like Leno, Diop, Mbabu their first proper runs out, he's literally got a, a game in three days where he's able to do it. So I don't think yeah. he's going to, to take any risks in what is probably our most important game of the month by far and not just because it's Brentford. Uh, a couple of questions before we finish. Um, this one from Sam Purcell, uh, an old topic, but with new names, um, I guess. Said, hi, hi, Fulhamish. Heard this subject on the pod at various times and feels like uh, an appropriate moment to consider it again. Luke Harris has just scored a hat-trick against a decent Chelsea under-21 squad. With Solomon and Wilson out, now feels like the perfect time to blood some youngsters. There's be much talk of another one or two attacking players coming in surely this blocks the pathway for Stansfield and Harris to make their way into the team if not with not now with nine subs and a few injuries then when can we if we give the young players opportunities then hopefully we'll have more of a chance of keeping some when the time comes around how do you think the club should handle this keep up the good work from Sam um Peter, we saw Jay Stansfield come off the bench do very well we also saw Tyrese Francois uh come on uh, as well um Interesting one. Um, I'd like to see Stansfield getting more minutes. And if, if Cliver and William means that doesn't happen, then that's obviously a, a big shame. But also, we need to stay in the Premier League. Yeah, it's. I know we, we, we do talk about it a lot. And there is this balance between the two. And, and you know, if you're, if you, I imagine if you're the manager, you want to have the strongest squad you can to, to achieve your goal, which is to stay in the Premier League, which, as we've seen, is proven very, very difficult. And I think there is a general sense that if Fulham can be a stable Premier League team, then giving players those opportunities becomes easier um, because there isn't that same pressure and expectation um, and need to to achieve a goal that really is so defining, I suppose, for the club in terms of how it operates. Um, but uh, fundamentally, yeah, I mean, th- these are the great opportunities for them. Um, the nine subs can help. It can also be a hindrance because, as we saw with Luke Harris, he, he's gone down to 21s to get minutes because if you're always on the bench, you're not going to get the minutes and you, it affects your training load. If you're going through the week, you may train up to a game, um, but the, the games are at different times for the 21s. So there's loads to sort of think about and balance for, for development. Um but you, you want to see them getting a chance. And it was fantastic to see Jay Stansfield come off the bench to make his Premier League debut. A fantastic story. A player who's scored loads of goals, um, you know, and a re- really proud moment for his, his family as well. Um, I'm sure they would absolutely would love to see him go on, get on and, and, and do so well. And it's giving him those opportunities as well as the others like, like Harris. Um, Pajaziti, as, as Jack said before, he, he got minutes last year. Um, giving them the right opportunities to grow and develop, and if you think you can, if, if there is an expectation that they can be and play at Premier League level, then they should get those chances. Now, um, the flip side is: is, is Jay Stansfield a, a right winger? Is he a left winger? Is, is that his his best sort of position? And therefore, if you're throwing him on for five minutes in his wrong position, is that really that helpful? Like so, with, with Francois on the left, so there is there is a a balance to be struck as well. Um, I think for Harris, you'd want him in that Pereira role. Um, I think just playing off Mitrovic, which he's done in preseason. So, yeah, I'm not. It's it's it's, it's 
it's one of those, isn't it? I mean, it, I think if you when if you sign a player like Willian, it can be quite. I imagine it could be quite dispiriting potentially, if if you think that blocks the pathway. But if it doesn't block the pathway, and there are still those opportunities, aided perhaps by a good cut run, um, then then maybe we look at it in a different way. And of course, there are these injuries. So if they're as long as they're in the thinking and they're they're still considered as given those opportunities, then then it's a positive thing. But I think. From a from a Fulham perspective and in the club perspective, that the number one goal is to stay up, um, and that can and does often conflict with with you know bringing through some of those best players. All right, well we leave it there for today's podcast. What a massive game on Saturday, and of course we'll have a podcast on Sunday reacting to whatever happens um, on uh, in the way in the derby. Mitchell Hattrick, mate, it's going to be okay. Oh. Luke Harris off the bench with a fourth. Oh my Just word! To put it to bed. Thanks very oh, that, much. Good uh, night, that Vietnam. Would, that, that would actually be um, everything to me. Uh, as ever, we get uh, the people in the Flemish community uh, to name the podcast and there is just no debate on which one gets the name today. Uh, Tim Clark with the best name by an absolute country mile. Get this. Bees, fees and threes. So bees for Brentford, Fee's talking about transfers and three's talking about Luke Harris uh, getting his hat trick uh, against Chelsea in the under 21s. I, I thought that was absolutely fantastic, Tim. So uh, yeah, a round of applause to you. Um, thank you to my guest today, Peter Rutzler from his cupboard. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you, Sammy. As always, always a pleasure. And it's got progressively darker as it's gone on, I think, because the sunlight's going. So it's looking even more. <laughs> it's looking like, even more like a understairs covered as the podcast has gone along. And and Jack and his not Brentford shirt. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sammy. Thank you for having me as ever. Uh, well, should we have a celebratory slash commiseratory pint um, afterwards? Whatever happens, seems seems like the only way, doesn't it? Seems like the only way. Win or lose, etc., etc., etc. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Have a lovely end to your week, and fingers crossed, Fulham can do the business against the bees on Saturday. You whites, you whites.